This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. You may not know this, but March is recognized by some as Special Needs Awareness Month. And although it seems like the internet comes up with a holiday and awareness month for everything these days, I could not let this month go by without taking the time to talk to Gina Spivey, the Special Abilities Pastor at Calvary Community Church in California. Gina is a tireless advocate for the community she serves. And in this conversation, we talk about everything from practical wisdom on how to build a community that supports a ministry like hers, to engaging with senior leadership at your church, to volunteer retention for all of children's ministry. Before we start, I should say, I am well aware that we cannot cover everything on this topic in one episode, and we didn't try to, but I'm confident that you'll leave this conversation feeling more equipped and inspired to engage in child discipleship, no matter what your context looks like. We start this episode with Gina explaining how she first got started in this kind of work, and I thank you for listening to the Resilient Disciples podcast. I was studying child psychology at Loyola Marymount, and I kind of had always thought I was going to go more the MFT family therapy route, just um, sort of natural inclinations, natural giftings. That's just kind of how I'd always been wired. I didn't really have a ton of exposure to special abilities or special needs um, when I was growing up. But um, I met my husband when I was a senior in high school and his sister has a pretty severe intellectual disability. So she was in my life since I was about 18. But as a child, I I didn't really have a lot of exposure to that. And then when I was a sophomore in college, I literally just was looking for a summer job on Monster and (laughs) yeah, and found um, I was in LMU, LMU, which is in LA. And I found this job in South Central LA, which is, you know, was only like 15 minutes from where my college was. And it was working with kids, um, infants and toddlers who had been prenatally drug and alcohol exposed and then had a resulting disability from that exposure for this woman and this nonprofit that I had never heard of. And I went, I applied and went and I came home driving home from the like little, I had an interview and then we had to go in and kind of meet the kids because it's, it's an intense environment. Sure. And I drove home and I was crying and she, the woman (laughs) who owned this nonprofit called and said, just wanted to check in with you. You know, we think you're, you're qualified. We'd love to, to talk to you about a position. And I said, there's absolutely no way I can do this job. I've been crying all day. I can't do it. And she said, you're just the person that we want. That's, Mm. That's the number one qualification for the job. And that changed the entire trajectory of my life. It was, she's still to this day, my mentor. I worked there for 14 years. Oh, lovely. Ended up being the site direct, like went from aide to teacher to director to site director to multi-site director, just like loved that work and then never had ministry on my brain. And then Calvary said, and Sean said, you know, we really want to take this to the next level and, and became a pastor just three years ago. So I never really thought that these things were going to collide. I really, I really didn't. I'd been at Calvary since I was in high school, been a Christian, you know, since I was little, but came out of a Christian house, but didn't have any intention of being in ministry. And then, um, but this is the population I've always worked with since I've been working. My kids are involved. My husband's involved. It's like the family business now, but um, it was kind of happenstance, honestly, the way that I wound up here. So God's good. 
Amen. Well, I want to, I want to start with the kids and I want to kind of brought, I want to make sure we at least end the conversation by talking about Sean, uh, because I think, um, one of the things that immediately jumps out to me. So I, I became a Christ follower later in life. I was in college and, uh, I often look at the people that are connected to an Awana ministry or people like you. And I'm like, man, I missed like Mm. 18 years of being connected Mm. to Jesus. Right. Yeah. And I think about this, especially the serving this community and what a gift it is to be able to introduce this particular population to Jesus at such a young mm-hmm. age. And then for those who are serving that community to be introduced to how God is reflected yeah. in people, in, in children and families of those who've been impacted by disability. I want to talk about discipleship though, sort of specifically, yeah. because yeah. I think there's a misconception Absolutely. With children's ministry in at baseline, right? That it's that it's uh, childcare. Yep, right? I know and, right where you're going with this. Yeah. Yep. So I think for for your ministry in particular, how what does discipleship look like? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, not if if it if people make that assumption with children's ministry, multiply it a thousandfold, and that's yes. the assumption that they make with special abilities ministry or just dis, disability ministry and. Um, just so you know, we we shifted our language from from disability just to special ability. It's because we felt like that made more sense for our community Perfect. and for what we're trying to do. So when I say special abilities, that's what I mean. Um, no, thank you. No- I'm going to leave all of this in because I want people to hear Great. your heart behind that. And yeah. I will definitely make sure that I'm correct. No, it's, it's totally fine. So when I say that, that's what I'm that's what I mean. Perfect. So anyway, um, that's how people. I'll always assume what we're doing in special abilities ministry is, is either uh, childcare or our main goal has got to be just letting parents go to church. Our goal is to keep a kid so that their parents can go to church. And that is not our goal. It is a byproduct of what happens when we have programming on a Sunday morning but first of all, programming on Sunday morning is only one lane of the way that we're discipling not only kids, but their families, mm-hmm. um, not only and, and adults with special abilities too. our ministry goes birth to death. It's all the way through. So we have ways that we're discipling oh, wow. children, young adults, adults, and then families in through parent groups and all that kind of stuff. So Sunday mornings and allowing parents to go to church is a thing, is a byproduct that comes out of a special abilities ministry, but it is not our goal. And we, on, on Sunday mornings, the way that we really accomplish it, we have two, two veins. We have our self-contained program, which is a classroom. We just completed a whole wing. So it's three rooms. It's a sensory room. It's amazing. And that is designed as a ministry tool for kids who have a little bit higher need, maybe have some sensory integration issues or some processing stuff that really requires them to be in a higher level of care. So that room is what that's designed for. And we run the same curriculum in that room as everybody else in the building. So whatever children are doing or middle school is doing or high school is doing is what we're doing. So same crafts, same videos, same Bible lesson. We're teaching, we're, we're sitting at a table, we're doing hand over hand, we're signing the verses, we're doing whatever we have to do. So we're not doing Noah's Ark every Sunday because it's cute and babyish. Like, no, we're digging deep. So that's what we really do on Sundays. And then we also got buddy. 
for kids who are integrated into their typical classes, um, all the way from birth in early childhood through young adults. Okay. So anytime that there's something else happening that involves discipling children or students, our kids are involved in that as well via a buddy if they need one or not a buddy if they don't need one. And maybe it's just a conversation with the leader or the pastor of that ministry on how best to accommodate needs or families or whatever it takes. So that's how we do it on a Sunday. Then we have a wanna for me, which is what we do on Wednesdays. And that's kind of something that like, I can't even tell you how much I love it. I can't even tell you how (laughs) proud I am of it. It's like, it's the bread and the butter. It's really where it's at. So that's where we, we take the same Awana curriculum. We don't have a separate curriculum. We don't have, you know, a easier curriculum. We take that same Bible verse, same lesson that everybody else is doing in Awana in the building. And we just make it fit for our kids. So we have a whole system. I don't know if you want me to go into the details of how we do what we do, but. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely curious. One of the things that stands out to me about this just from the jump is the value of Mm -hmm. making sure that everyone in the building or everyone in the uh, wing is experiencing the same thing. Totally. Same part of the curriculum. Was that a conscious choice from you from the get-go? Is that just something that you discovered worked? Okay. No, that was a conscious thing kind of right from, from, go. And part of that is because this sort of controversial, uh, some people automatically say like integration, 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 integration. I don't necessarily believe that that's entirely always the goal as far as integrating, meaning they're in the same room in the same place, because the reality is there are some kids that that just really is not the best way for them to learn. Yeah. And And when we're in the wing and we have swings and we have fidget toys and we have all the things that make them able to learn a little easier, that's my goal. My goal is not that we can say we've integrated everyone in the standard term. My goal is that everyone hears the gospel and is able to receive and understand it. So, but if we can't integrate, using the same curriculum is a form of integration while still allowing these students to do the best that they can and learn the best, most effective way that they can in their room. And that's why we kind of track alongside. It's also better for the family unit, you know, on the drive home, if their Susie's brother, Timmy is talking about what he learned and she was it with me for the morning. And she's, that's a reinforcer for her because she's yeah. rehearing what she learned. And it's, a, and it's, a, it's really important for the parents to know that we weren't, you know, wasting anybody's time or we weren't just putting their kids in front of a TV. We were working to teach them the same curriculum. Gina, I resonate with that so much because I think especially for an organization like Awana, right? We are inherently a parachurch organization. We make tools that we hope people like you take and adapt and use in whatever way you feel like you can best adapt to your local context. You talk a lot about how the people in your ministry are a blessing to your church. How do you define that? Because something that's so obvious about your ministry in particular is that that belief has permeated the entire church body. How did you make that culture? It's a great question. I would say that it is in the water at Calvary for sure. Um, I wish I could take credit for all of it. I definitely can't (laughs) take credit for all of it. That's good. Um, I mean, honestly, a lot of the reason why it's in the water is because of Sean and Curtis, who's our executive pastor, because like everything, you know, it trickles down and Mm. 
And even, even in allowing me to do what I think is the right thing to do or what allowing me to the freedom to say, no, I, this is important and we need to be doing it this way. If Sean and Curtis didn't want that, then it wouldn't be in the water at Calvary. And, and honestly, senior and executive pastors have literally every reason to not um, give us a free for all when it comes to special abilities ministry, because it's really messy and it's really, it can be dangerous and it can be distracting and it can be all the things that people use as an excuse. And I don't mean that to be mean, but that's the reality. People use it as an excuse to not have people with special abilities in their church because it is distracting and it is messy and it is loud and it's all those things. So a senior pastor and an executive pastor or whatever the church structure is, if the person at at the top doesn't want it, it's not going to happen in the way that we're doing it at Calvary. That's the reality. So Sean and Curtis open the door and then my personality type is to just like drive it until it's I hit a wall. And that's just, you know, always how I've been. So, so I think the reality of getting it in the water is that, and then when it comes to helping people see people with special abilities as a blessing and not as um, not even as a burden. Cause I, th- I do think a lot of people would say, no, I don't think they're a burden, but like I, I can't be involved or like, I feel so sorry for them or I feel so sorry for their parents or it's so sad. And my whole language, part of the reason why we changed our name, my whole demeanor, my whole posture in training volunteers in training leaders and training staff and training when I speak or anybody speaks is the upside down, you know, understanding of who's important, who has value, who's in the likeness of God and it, it, it's true. I believe it and I see it. And so it's an easy sell because once people really understand and start reshaping the way that they see people with special abilities, people who are marginalized anyway, people who right. are, you know, not coming to fresh market for groceries. It's just all about recognizing that being made in the image of God means something very, very real. And we can't say we believe that if then we say it was a mistake that somebody has Down syndrome. That's just not the reality. That's that's not what being made in the image of God is all about. Go ahead so, and preach. My goodness, go yes. Ahead. So it's so interesting though, because even like it, it, like what we're going through now in the world, I'm sorry, I'm on a major soapbox, but I'm just, I'm, I can't stop now. I'm in, let's do it. You know, when we're going through all this stuff in the world and politics and coronavirus and all this stuff, you can't tell me that someone with Down syndrome or autism or any sort of intellectual physical disability doesn't have a perspective that the rest of the world needs of an understanding. Right. There's an under, there's a, there's a depth and there's a simplicity and there's a peace and there's all of that that exists in in our world when we're helping kids with special abilities or we're spending time with kids with special abilities that does not exist in the neurotypical world and we're better off for it so i that's why i think you know when you start consistently conveying that message to people around you then it then people start to really receive that and I think that that just makes your church better. I think it just makes it makes us better disciples. I think it makes us recognize just how good God really is and how vast the goodness of God is, how deep um, his love for his creation is, 
all of that and and how important humanity is to God and I and that includes all of the people. All so of humanity, yeah. All of humanity. So once you kind of get that once you can wrap your mind around that, it spreads because people people really believe that. I think it just takes some somebody reminding them of that. And then they stop and think and go, whoa. And then it gets in the water. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Let's talk about moms. We know the impact a mom can make in her home, community, and the kingdom of God. We know that when a mom encounters Jesus, it's exponential discipleship because her family does as well. And for nearly 50 years, Mops International has used the common experience of motherhood to create opportunities for women and their families to encounter Jesus. They partner with churches and organizations like Awana worldwide to equip and encourage moms in more than 70 countries. Through their ministry, they remind women that they're not alone, that motherhood is significant, and that Jesus calls them beloved. In addition, they give them the tools they need so that moms can thrive and feel equipped to disciple the next generation in Christ's name. As Mops approaches a half century of impact, they recognize that shifting cultural norms and a global pandemic are creating a pivotal moment of opportunity. Moms are more isolated and stressed than ever before. We all know that moms need community now more than ever. Whether you're a mom or you just know a mom, I want you to join Mops. I want you to support the moms in your community. By serving or donating, you are offering hope and introducing moms to Jesus. Visit mops.org to learn more. My concern here, Gina, is that this creates a natural opportunity for cynicism. People who are listening to this are hearing us talk about the great relationship that you have with your senior pastor, your executive pastor. They're hearing us talk about all the different resources that you have access to in your community, and they got none of that. But I know that everything we're talking about is replicable no matter what someone's context looks like. So for that cynical person, how do they begin to cultivate the kind of ministry that you all have at Calvary? It's a really great question. And there's actually a great video. I know you can't interlace a video, but I actually did a long interview with Curtis, who's our executive pastor on this exact topic. Um, We do have a lot of resources and we do now have the open road to do what we want to do, but we did not always have that open road. And the great thing about this interview with Curtis is Curtis did not want special abilities ministry at Calvary. He did not want it. He did not like it. He said no to it for many years. No. Now he did have, we did have Sean who obviously Sean with his background and and who he is and his heart, he's always going to have a I always have a soft place to land and I'm lucky for that. But it wasn't that we didn't, we just always had the free for all to do whatever we wanted to do. We, Curtis was not for it for a long time. And now he serves at every single buddy break that we have, which is our resident. I love that. Never misses. Okay. So totally caught the vision. Curtis will say, and I would agree that um, you can't guilt somebody into this ministry. Mm. You can't, tell your senior leadership that they have a mandate or that they have a rule or that they're not following the Bible or they're not, it just doesn't work. I've never seen that approach soften the hearts of senior leadership. It just doesn't. The only way, the only way to soften the hearts of people in senior leadership is to have them experience a relationship 
with somebody who has a special ability. And the way to do that is for you to build a relationship with somebody that has a special ability and model it for your senior leadership. So Curtis tells us stories about like, he would stand back and he would see a volunteer or me or somebody greet somebody in the lobby that he would naturally be afraid of or uncomfortable around. And over time that chipped away kind of at the block inside of him that said, this isn't right. This is too dangerous. This and and God softened his heart through watching relationship happen. Mm. And it, in theory, on paper, special abilities ministry is does not make sense. It's not an easy sell. So it can't be presented on paper through a pamphlet, through a program. It has to be done one on one through relationship over time, and it takes time. As far as the resources, you don't need a lot. The things that we do are not very expensive. Now, obviously, we just built a wing. Most people don't have a wing. Most people don't even have a room to be able to do these things. But you start with what you have. And we I didn't have a room or a wing when I first started either. It, it, I was going into classrooms, wrapping around, buddying kids that were in the same classroom as all their other kids and figuring out what that was going to look like. And then eventually as it grew, it was like, wow, we have a need for a separate room. So I, I get that now it's easy to say we have all these resources and, you know, my, even having somebody dedicated full-time staff, like churches don't have that. I have three people in a staff that doesn't happen. I get right. that, right. but we didn't start here. Yeah. You know, this ministry has been, I've been here for seven years. The ministry has been there for 10. So it took 10 years to get, yeah. to get here. And I think that the best way to, to, to start is to just start. I think you can find an excuse day after day after day about why it doesn't make any sense. And it's scary, but enough is enough. Like go make a friendship, build a friendship with somebody who has a different ability than you and then model it for your church. And it will stick. It will stick. Yeah. And then there's all the stats, you know, one in four people excluding a quarter of the, you know, world when you don't accept people and all that stuff. But I really don't think that effectively changes hearts. I really don't. So I it's just, love that's that. what it's about. Yeah. I hope that the folks who listen to this podcast every week hear the similarities between what you just shared and the conversations we have every single episode on this podcast. There's not a distinction between getting your church to care about what you're talking about and getting your church to care about child discipleship in general. And as Gina just said, this is in your community. And as you just and as you just alluded to Gina, it's important to say explicitly, this is in your community. So start with what you have, start with the existing relationships that you have. And this isn't about adding something to your to-do list. By just going up and engaging in a genuine relationship with the person you are excited to see in the church lobby that maybe not everyone is excited to see, you might be creating, it might take 10 years, but you might be creating a life-changing ministry for your entire community. Absolutely. So we've talked about how you work with your leaders, but I want to talk about how you work with those who you're leading. What does that process look like? Because I imagine that there has to be particular considerations for serving in this community. Yeah, great question. Okay, so again, I'll say when I came on staff, it was just me. It started as lay leaders, I'm sorry. And then there was a part-time position. And then there was me as a full-time. And now I, there's myself 
who, uh, the, uh, who's the pastor of the ministry. Then there's an associate director, Hannah. And then we, I have another gal, Paulina, who's part-time and she's the integration coordinator. So there's the three of us and that's kind of our staff core. Then there's an army of volunteers. <laughs> and by army, I mean army. And again, didn't start there, but we have, you know, volunteers for Sunday. We have volunteers for special events. Like we do, you know, a snow day, a beach day, a prom, you know, all that stuff. So we have volunteers that really focus on special events, volunteers that focus on Sunday, volunteers that focus on Awana, volunteers that focus on buddy break. And then we have a leadership team, which is like 14 of us. It's all, I call them like a board of directors, but, and they kind of do all the things and they okay. keep me in check and tell me when I'm being ridiculous or like, Gina, you're out of your mind. We're not doing that. <laughs> um, those types of things. We require every single volunteer to attend a training. The training takes about 90 minutes. We wrote the training manual. Be happy to send you know you a copy and you can whatever Great. with it. It's a free sure. resource and happy to have any church have it. Um, we made it to have other churches be able to use it so they're not having to reinvent the training wheel. Our volunteers go through a training. It's mandatory before they can do anything. Um, we Once they go through the training, then we start them off as like a junior buddy. So they're kind of paired with somebody who's been buddying for a long time. And then as they get more and more comfortable, then we kind of launch them into buddying on their own. Um, buddy is the word that we use for somebody working one-on-one. -on -one. Obviously, our, all of our kids have a one-on-one -on -one buddy, if not more. Some of our kids who have more um, complex needs can have maybe two or three buddies for one of them. So yeah, so they go through this training and then we do continuing education training about once a year. We pull all the volunteers together Every time we come together, like for a buddy break, I'm always doing like a five minute little, hey, we're glad you're here. As a reminder, um, you need you can't go take a kid to the bathroom unless there's two blue lanyards and a blue lanyard is someone over 18, background checked, fingerprinted. Gotcha. You can't, you know, little details, like if I see issues popping up, we send an email out every Monday morning that says who can volunteer this Sunday with a specific number of volunteer slots. So if they can't come this Sunday, they don't sign up. But right. somehow God always manages to give us enough, you know, buddies for what we need, for what we're trying to accomplish. And you know what? I want to say one more thing on that, too, because that's a great point. One another common misconception is that all of my volunteers must be somehow linked to this professionally. What They're a SPED teacher or they're an occupational sure. therapist or a physical therapist. The reality is we do have some of those volunteers. But for the most part, people who do this for a living aren't necessarily our most bought in volunteers on the weekend. And we really want to spread the message that like, you don't have to be doing this as a profession to be involved in this. And I cannot even tell you, I would say 90%, not even exaggerating of volunteers when they come to the training say, I'm so scared. I can't even believe I'm here. I swore that this is the one ministry I would never volunteer in. I'm so <laughs> underqualified. I'm terrified. And that that's like, that's the key volunteer. That's exactly yeah. who I'm going after is somebody who has no exposure to this world. And we need the behavior therapists and all them to come help us too. But really who I'm looking for are people who have said, I've never had any inner interaction with anybody with a special ability. And I'm terrified because that is how you get it in the water. That's how you change the perspective of people. That's how you do all that discipleship, not just of the kids, but of your volunteers. You're yep. discipling them through what it means to like love people who don't look like you, walk like you, talk like you. And if I only 
you know, allow people in who are professionals at this, then that's not accomplishing that at all. So that, that is not my target audience. All that to say in whatever church context you're in, you don't need to find 50 qualified people. You need to just find one person who's willing and start there. You had mentioned earlier that there is a way that this community interacts with the world. And I think you said there's a simplicity to it. And that's exactly right. There is a lack of complications that this community has that I so admire. And I've seen it in my own life. Long story long, my uncle is the reason that I'm a Christ follower. My uncle was born with fetal alcohol syndrome, actually became an alcoholic, and probably has some form of undiagnosed autism. And he's been sober for years now. He's doing really well. And he lived with us for a period of time and got hooked up with an AA program that was ultimately connected to the church where I began my relationship with the Lord. So everything that I have, I can trace back to him. And I'm so grateful that God has given me that because he's this constant in my life. He calls all the time because he wants to talk. When he's hungry, he eats. When he needs to do laundry, he does laundry. And he's not burdened by the same kind of complexities that I put in my own life. And I think that more accurately reflects God's heart. But how have you seen God's heart reflected in the kids that make up your ministry? Yeah. Wow. Um, there's like, I, I mean, I can't even like every time I see it, but I think um, consistently across the board, what I see is like we talked about earlier, there's, there's a, um, there's a faith. There's a simplicity to the faith of a, of somebody with a special ability that I'm so envious of. And it's different even than a neurotypical child because there is a suffering component to their life. Okay. And yet their faith is simplistic and pure. And um, and I just, I, I look at that and think there's no greater picture of God's love than, than this. And then the way that this child is wired to just receive God's love without feeling like they have to, or this adult for that matter, a young adult, um, without feeling like they have to level up with God or they have to prove themselves. It's just about receiving. And that's something that I personally struggle with because I'm an Enneagram eight. If you follow the Enneagram, I'm like <laughs> sure. super a type, super, all these things. And so I can get so wrapped up in, I I'm the fulcrum to my relationship with God. Like I, I'm the thing I, I control it. I do it. And that is a constant reminder to me when I see our families and our kids about like, no, it actually has zero to do with you. Like, God, th- there's just a receiving that you're called to that you really are terrible at. That That's one <laughs> way. And then I also think just the way that, the way that God demonstrates h- himself through our families, like I could never have changed Curtis's heart, mm. but this girl Gretchen in her wheelchair, who is nonverbal, who spoke through a talk communication device, changed his heart. Like there, the way that God uses people to, to really spread the gospel and to change hearts is so powerful. And I just get to sit back and kind of 
observe it. And then I get, to, then I say like, I can't believe you picked me to be able to observe this every day. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I just, yeah. So that's a whole other thing. Just the way that God uses people to change hearts, people that have a special ability to change hearts. And then beyond that, if you've like ever hung out with somebody with a special ability, there's no greater fun, joy, laughter, like, people always assume that what we do is real heavy and real sad. And then I'm like, come and spend 20 minutes with us and tell me that you like, we're not dying laughing by the end of it, having the time of your life. And that joy that like comes out of that, that we are not able to experience because we're so bogged down by the weight of everything that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And when I get to hang out with someone who's just excited by bubbles that I'm like, Oh, this is what it means to be happy. This is what it means to know real joy. This is yep. what that means. And when I get to heaven someday, I'm not even joking. It's not my heaven if there are not people who have different abilities than me. I'm not Absolutely. like that's that is heaven. And that when when we get to experience that, it's like, okay, God, I see you so clearly and you uh-huh. are so good. And it deepens my faith for sure every time. Cause I'm I'm a natural c- cynic. I tend to be a little more dry and a little more realist. And then I spend time in this ministry and it's just like, God levels me, floors me with how good he is and, and how beautiful his creation is and unique and all that stuff. So, you know, it happens in every relationship, every day of my job where I just see God at work. And and it happens to our volunteers too. When they come and spend some time with us, they get it you know, and then it changes their relationship with God. So I'm fully convinced that they lead and we, we follow. There is no, they're discipling us. Um, I'm pretty sure about that. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album, Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.